Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And good morning, everyone. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Lockton uh, in Boston. As Mike mentioned, uh, he is off today, so I am filling in. We'll talk about uh, the Medicare program, which most people think about Social Security and Medicare as uh, the same, but they're really not. They started at different times and, and perform different functions. And uh, we do need an expert to help us uh, navigate the Medicare waters. And that is uh, Peter Stoner. So Peter, are you there? Good morning. I am here. Thank you. Excellent. Nice to be on this morning. Yes. Good to, good to hear your voice, Peter. So we, uh, the lead in to you was Social Security. <laughs> so we talked everything about Social Security uh, or as much as we could in the hour. And I'll do the same with you uh, to set the stage from a, a origin perspective. So just if you can, Peter, just before we get into the details, what is Medicare and then get into sort of like how it's funded and then we can go from there. Okay. So um, a lot of people think that Medicare started the same time as Social Security. <laughs> uh, it didn't. Um, uh, Medicare started in 1965. It was a result of legislation uh, promoted by the Johnson administration to provide health care for uh, seniors. And the issue at that point was that seniors uh, made half the money of the general population, but they had three times the medical expenses. So especially for 
low-income beneficiaries, it was something that was essential. Um, and, you know, people think back, 1965, well, you know, a lot of people weren't born at that point. I remember I was a senior at Newton High at that point, and um, Medicare didn't make my screen. You know, it wasn't important to me. Uh, I don't recall it at all uh, at that point. But I remember thinking back years later that my grandmother, my mother's mother, who was 82 at the time, um, didn't have a lot of money, and it was a godsend to her. And it was a godsend to millions of people it wasn't embraced initially by the medical community. Uh, in fact, um, a lot of legislation that went into Medicare was designed to change the, um, the way we deliver care in America. For example, one of the pieces in the legislation was that in order to receive Medicare compensation, the hospitals had to be desegregated. So we forget mid-60s, uh, a lot of the hospitals, especially in the South, were segregated. And lo and behold, they put that piece in the act and um, all the hospitals became desegregated virtually overnight because uh, that's where the money was. The federal mm -hmm. government was providing money for services for people primarily over 65, but also people younger than 65 who had certain uh, disabilities. And um, the doctors initially didn't embrace Medicare either. So there was initially just Part A of Medicare. Part A of Medicare uh, covers hospitalizations. Part B covers doctor visits uh, and associated expenses. So the doctors initially didn't embrace it uh, until they saw, you know, this is a this is kind of a cash cow. And uh, hence, Part B of Medicare was introduced relatively shortly thereafter, but it was to address a real need in society. It was part of uh, Johnson's uh, Great Society movement in the mid-60s. Um, Harry Truman was the very first Medicare beneficiary, So, <laughs> and the reason for that is Harry, uh, who was about 88 at the time, uh, had promoted uh, the concept during his administration, but the timing wasn't right but it clearly became right in uh, the mid-60s. Hmm. So I mentioned it started out with Part A that covers hospitalizations. Now, uh, fast forward to today, Part A still covers hospitalizations, but it has in 2021 a deductible of $1,484. So just figure $1,500 as a ballpark. And it's not an annual deductible. It's a per-benefit period deductible. And there's a new benefit period that recurs every 60 days after someone has been discharged from the hospital. Hmm. So that means that you can incur that deductible multiple times a year. Uh, that's not likely. I mean, most of us don't have multiple hospitalizations during a course of a year. But as we get older, that changes. I remember my father was very healthy until he hit 90. And then uh, in the 91st year, he kind of became a boomerang back and forth to the hospital. So um, Medicare has that built in. Uh, and then there's a second part of Medicare, which covers doctor visits and associated expenses, Part B. 
that has a uh, an annual deductible, two hundred and three dollars. So if all you had was A and B of Medicare, you went to the doctor, you'd be responsible for the first two hundred and three dollars. The big charge under uh, Part B is you're responsible for twenty percent of the doctor fees. So I remember, uh, for example, when I was fifty. I had a ruptured appendix, went to the hospital, and the surgeon's charge was $25,000. So, you know, if I were just under Medicare at that point and was responsible for 20%, that's $5,000. So that's a big hit. Uh, and as a result of that, in addition to taking Medicare A and B, uh, beneficiaries invariably take either a Medicare supplement plan and we'll get into that in length later, and or a uh, Medicare Advantage plan. They're two very different types of programs, and yet people use the terms interchangeably. They're <laughs> definitely not interchangeable. No, no, they, they, are, they are not. Uh, yeah. Go backwards for a second for me, Peter, sorry. Um, so you mentioned Part A and B, which are kind of the the staples or the baseline for, for all these other programs. How, uh, how do we fund them and then talk about the premiums, if any, for them? So first of all, we, you know, Kurt talked about the 6.2% payroll tax that was, you know, sort of capped to pay f into Social Security. How does Medicare get funded and then how do we pay premiums, if any? So they, it gets funded from the Medicare tax that is taken out. And in order for someone to be um, eligible without having to pay a premium for Part A of Medicare, they had to uh, have paid into the Medicare system for at least 40 quarters, and that's government speak for 10 years. So as long as you have contributed uh, to the Medicare tax for 10 years and or your spouse has, or even your former spouse, you're entitled to Part A for no premium. So the vast majority of people that I talk to, and when I say the vast majority, I mean like 99 plus percent, don't have to pay anything for Part A. They've already paid that over their working career. Part B is a different case, uh, and this is where it gets a little sticky. So Part B, there is a premium. This year, it's $148.50 a month for 70% of the people in the country. So the vast majority of people pay the $148.50 a month, but 30% of the people are designated as quote unquote high wage earners. And a high wage earner starts once their um, modified adjusted gross income exceeds $88,000 for an individual or $176,000 for a couple. Uh, and so that oftentimes goes into the strategy as to whether going on Medicare is um, a good choice. And by that, I mean, is it is it a better value or not? Because somebody who's in the highest bracket, and that's uh, for a couple, it's three quarters of a million dollars. So if you've made more than three quarters of a million dollars as a couple, Two years ago, as the government always looks back two years, they don't look back consecutive years, they look back two years. So in other words, 
this year in 2021, they would look at your 2019 tax return. And if you had that three quarters of a million as a couple, then the government would charge you $582. So there's a big range. Range varies from uh, a low of $148.50, and that figure assumes that you're not eligible for any low-income subsidies, which is a possibility, or to as high as $582. So sometimes if somebody is in that $582 price range, you know, that's their buy-in to Medicare. And then on top of that, they have to take either a supplement plan and or uh, an advantage plan. Right. But, and, um, and, so that, yeah. and Peter, from uh, going back to that, um, you know, on the premium side, um, but you mentioned people have to, because uh, Kurt had the same thing. So you, you basically work for 10 years. Uh, and then what, what are people currently paying uh, in... Um, sort of payroll tax for that like you said you get you get part a free but it's really not free you've been paying into the system for a bit uh what what is that current percentage and has it changed much um i really don't know no no (laughs) one's ever asked me that question Uh, you know as long as you paid it that's all we care about so Um, so you all all you have to do so similar to security you've had to the minute you have worked in 40 quarters, you are eligible um, for Medicare, or you're considered That's right. eligible. That's right. And, 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 and some people obviously pay more right. because they make more. Right. And so. does does this, does Medicare also, um, because Kurt mentioned, uh, in addition to, you know, age, for Medicare anyway, age 65, but is Medicare also available for people under 65 if they meet certain conditions? Yes. So if they're if they're uh, disabled, they qualify for uh, Medicare early. Uh, I would say of, of uh, so I have about a, a thousand clients, and of that thousand, I've got maybe ten that are eligible due to disability. So, uh, but it's a very important component for those people. It's just that the number, the percentage, is very low. Got it, and so. Talk about uh, so we've got so in in high level part people when hear people hear part A part A is basically hospitalizations or hospital services. That's right. B is um, physician services. So if someone had worked the forty quarters, they would theoretically get part A at no no cost to them because you know theoretically they've paid for it part b depending on your income 148 50 right now a month um and then what are the other uh parts and then we can talk a little bit about how mass may be different than some of the other states okay. but what what else can because you mentioned there are some gaps there what else can people do and what yeah, there there are some gaps and so uh the first type of plan that people look at and and the vast majority of my clients look at a supplement plan, which is also called a Medigap plan. And that's specifically because it fills in those gaps that I talked about. So that $1,484 deductible that you can incur multiple times a year is filled in by a Medigap plan. That uh, 20% of uh, doctor charges is also filled in by a Medigap plan. And um, what isn't filled in anymore, it changed in 
uh, last year, January of 2020, is the doctor deductible of $203. So, um, so I've been on Medicare for a while, personally, and when I took it, I took a supplement plan where I didn't have to spend anything for deductibles, coinsurance, co-pays, you name it. Everything was zero. Um, but as of 2020, a new product for people turning 65 after January 1st of 2020, they have to pay the $203 deductible. Congress wanted... Um, Medicare supplement plans uh, beneficiaries to have some quote-unquote skin in the game. So, in other words, they wanted to have some barrier to care. You know, if I if I have to incur $203 uh, the first time I go to the doctor, maybe I think about going in for a hangnail. Maybe I don't, whereas before, it was, there was no barrier. I would just go. So they wanted, to, at the very least, to have people stop and think. Uh, and that's exactly what that um, deductible has done. Even though I didn't have to switch from my plan that I didn't pay anything uh, in terms of uh, co-pays and deductibles, I did switch uh, to the new plan in Massachusetts. Uh, and that means that I went from what's called the SUP1 plan, the Supplement 1 plan, to the Supplement 1A plan difference being on the supplement 1a plan you're responsible for the 203 dollars deductible but during the course of the year you save about 500 dollars in premium so although um i'm now responsible for that 203 dollars deductible like everyone else i save the 500 dollars in premium which gives me a net savings of about 300 dollars a year so it just it just makes sound financial sense to uh, make that switch. And on a supplement plan, the, the beauty of it, in, from my opinion, from the reason I took one, is it allows you access to any doctor who accepts Medicare. And in Massachusetts, about 96% of the people, uh, are not the people, but the doctors, accept Medicare. So uh, a lot of times I'll talk about a supplement and people will ask, so what's the, no, what's the network? because we're so focused on networks in the commercial world. Well, there is no network under a supplement plan. You can go to any doctor in the country, not just Massachusetts, but in the country who accepts Medicare. So uh, in Massachusetts, you know, I mentioned 96%, that means 4% don't take Medicare. And most of that 4% is comprised of some sort of a mental health therapist. So your psychologists, your psychiatrists are not necessarily enamored with the uh, compensation that they get from Medicare, so they don't take it. But every, everyone else, you can rest assured that they take it. Now, the next question, though, has become, are they taking new patients? They may not. So you still have to ask just to make sure because some, some doctors have their, uh, what they call their panels, uh, full in their, in their opinion, they're not willing to take additional patients. So even though they take Medicare, they can still refuse you if they're no longer taking additional uh, patients. But if you have a doctor, uh, more often than not, they are going to accept Medicare, and more often than not, they'll take you because you're already a patient. Um, so 
on a Medicare supplement plan, um, I mentioned that we call it a, a SUP1A plan in Massachusetts. People who read uh, literature online hear about uh, Plan G. So Massachusetts is uh, one of three exception states in the country. The other two are Minnesota and Wisconsin. Uh, we don't have the uh, alphabet supplement plans. So when somebody calls me and says, you know, I'm interested in Plan G, then I know right away they're either calling me from outside of Massachusetts or they've been reading uh, something of a generic version on Medicare. Uh, and the generic literature typically doesn't differentiate. You know, they're only dealing with three exception states, so they tend to ignore that. But the big supplement plan uh, now in Massachusetts is called the SUP1A. Everyone who takes one of those uh, has everything covered for them that's medically necessary. The only thing that's not covered is prescriptions. So Medicare in 2006 passed legislation where the uh, Part D, they call it, was introduced and that's what covers um, prescriptions um, with the Medicare supplement plan. It's a separate called standalone Part D plan. Uh, they range, there's, first of all, there's 27 of them in Massachusetts. So there's a lot of choices. And the way uh, I determine the best Part D plan for someone is I go on the Medicare website, add their prescriptions, their dosages, monthly quantities, generate a report and as I said there's 27 plans they range in premium from a low of $7.20 to a high of $135 a month this year so that's a huge range uh, and it depends on which prescriptions you take as to which plan suits you best I have a separate Part D plan for example I, I am fortunate in that the $7.20 plan is a good fit for me I have three uh, tier one or tier two generics. They cost me nothing. I pay, I pay a zero copayment for those. Uh, and I find that a lot of people, uh, once I've done their analysis, either qualify for that $7.20 plan or something in the range of um, $21 or less. And so somewhere there in that range. Yeah. And Peter, so... Um and for our listeners, so Peter, what you've been talking about basically have been sort of the individual uh, Medicare plans that are available. Mm -hmm. Some of our listeners obviously are covered by a group plan. Um, yep. And I do want to talk after the break about uh, just some of the differences between the two and then a little bit more on the, um, on the benefits. So uh, after the break, we will talk uh, a little bit more about Medicare with Peter Stoner. Are you ready to get organized? Let's consolidate those old accounts and make sure your investment strategies are appropriate. This is Kirk Reed, a certified financial planner with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Find out more at McNamaraFinancial.com. We are back. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Lockton in Boston, and I am talking with Peter Stoner. We're talking about Medicare plans. The first hour we talked about uh, Social Security with Kurt Zonowski, and now we're talking the second piece of the retirement puzzle medicare and peter so you've been talking about you know part a part b part d and then some plans but we do have a fair amount of people who are covered 
uh, fewer and fewer nowadays, but by a group plan, typically these are, you know, state and municipal and federal government employees that have a Medicare plan. You know, they, they have to have Part A, and for the most part, most of them uh, have to have Part B, and then they get a supplement or an advantage plan. Just in general, I know it's hard to be specific, but in general, those folks that have access to a group plan versus the individual plan, which one is usually better in most circumstances? Well, uh, it's funny. I used to um, manage the department at Tufts Health Plan that provides retiree coverage to large companies like what you've just mentioned. And, uh, and it was initially in the mid-90s. And back then, it was very um, prevalent that employers, large ones, would offer retiree coverage. And they would subsidize that coverage um, for their retirees. That has changed over the subsequent years to the point where less and less employers are doing that. Uh, they're not covering as much as they used to do. But municipalities are sort of a holdout in that regard in the sense that if someone has worked for a city or town or the state, uh, the state, it would be called the Group Insurance Commission, GIC. When somebody tells me that they have retiree group coverage, and sometimes that comes along late in the conversation, for me, that's a deal breaker in the sense that I'm providing uh, information on individual Medicare plans for people that bear the cost of the premium themselves. Whereas if they're calling, especially for municipality, the likelihood is that municipality or the state is subsidizing that premium. So the premium is relatively attractive. But the main differentiator for between an employer group plan and the individual market is usually the prescription coverage. So the prescription coverage for most municipalities is what I would refer to as unlimited prescription coverage. That means it's not Part D coverage, which means it doesn't have a deductible. It doesn't have a coverage gap. Sometimes you hear the coverage gap referred to as the donut hole. It's not a term that I, that I particularly care for, but you know that's what they used to say all the time, the donut hole. And people know because of their neighbors or relatives that once somebody hits the coverage gap, what it costs them for their prescriptions spikes, sometimes appreciably. So you can go along paying a nominal amount for a copay and then all of a sudden it spikes you're paying now a percentage of the actual retail cost, which gets expensive. Employer group plans primarily do not have that. So they don't have the spike. When somebody works for an employer, they're accustomed to paying uh, a certain copay for prescriptions that remains standard uh, throughout the year. Very different under Medicare. That can You can get hit right off the bat with a deductible, depending on what your prescriptions are. Uh, and you can enter the coverage gap later on, um, which um, it costs you a lot more money. So you don't get that in, in employer group plans. Furthermore, uh, some employers still subsidize the premium, and that's especially the case in a municipality or the state. Some companies still subsidize the premium, but that's become less and less so over the years. Um, it used to be that they would pay a very high percentage of the premium. And over the years, the large companies have 
have passed more and more of that cost onto uh, their retirees. So uh, one of the things that I like people to do is to differentiate, you know, uh, let me know or let whomever they're talking to know I have access to employer group coverage as a retiree because most of the time that means they're going to get a better value with their employer group plan. Um, and I mean, oftentimes it's, it's always, it's nice to hear that that's still out there, <laughs> but um, in the mid nineties, they passed legislation where uh, it was called FASB, I think it was 106, might be a different one, it doesn't matter. But what it did essentially say was that the large companies now had to um, account for the expenses on their balance sheet for retiree coverage. And so that meant that all of the, like the IBMs, the Raytheons, the Verizons, the GEs of the world, all of a sudden had to account for that very large expense on their balance sheet. So that made them less competitive so it made them less inclined to underwrite that expense. Uh, and so a lot of them that were offering Medicare supplement plans then started to offer Medicare Advantage plans to their retirees because they were appreciably less expensive. And that's a piece we haven't talked about yet. We haven't talked about Medicare Advantage plans, but we're going to get to that. Yep. Yep, we'll get to that in uh, hopefully a minute or two. So a couple of other things, Peter. So in, in general, it's for those that have access to the, the group plan, right, for the, the two reasons you mentioned, uh, usually there's some premium subsidy on the on the uh, the plan component. In some cases, some cities and towns actually uh, help out the retirees on the Part B premium as well. Yes, yes. Um, so that's that's an advantage, and then you mentioned the donut hole uh, or the coverage gap in the drug. That's the second advantage. Um, and the reason I had you on um, uh, now, and I think you're on again next month with um, with uh, the McNamara's, is yes. when is uh, open enrollment? What is that, and what does that give those with individual plans a opportunity to do? So Medicare open enrollment starts October 15th and it runs to December 7th. And it essentially gives all existing Medicare beneficiaries an opportunity to change their plans. So, you know, it's not like you take a plan when you turn 65 and you're obligated to stay on it for the rest of your life. They give you an opportunity once a year to change it. And this is the time we're approaching October 1st, and that's when it all, for my mark, it hits the fan, if you will. Given that, um, that's when people uh, get all sorts of uh, literature in the mail from the health carriers, because that's their opportunity to change their plan. And then I get calls, uh, in turn, uh, people wanting to know, gee, I got this piece of literature in the, in the mail, isn't this a better plan for me? Uh, and, and invariably, it's not. Uh, it's just that, you know, the, the, the companies at that time, the open enrollment, will focus on Medicare Advantage plans. So Medicare Advantage plans oftentimes come with a zero premium. And people think, you know, wow, this is great because zero's less than what I'm paying. Uh, but if they're on a supplement plan, they have access to doctors, any doctor who takes Medicare. 
So what they're forgetting is, you know, these uh, Medicare Advantage plans all have restricted networks. And as a result of that, they may not have access to a specialist who's important to them. So, you know, that's uh, when it gets very busy. Uh, people are well advised during uh, Medicare open enrollment, at the very least, to look at their prescription plans to make sure that the prescription plan that they have this year will be appropriate for them going forward. The assumption always is, you know, if it works for me now, it'll, be, it'll work for me next year. What people tend to overlook is the fact that the drug companies at the same time uh, change their formularies from year to year. So you might be taking a prescription that your plan covers very favorably in 2021, but that may change completely in 2022. And if you haven't at the very least had somebody look at that prescription plan to see if it's still in your best interest, the time that they find out that it not going to work for them well in 2022 is when they go to refill a prescription in January of that year. But then they're, they're, they're done. They've already made their choice. Medicare open enrollment uh, ends on December 7th. They can't make a change after December 7th. So then they're locked in for the next year. So I really tell people, take a look most especially at your drug coverage for the following year. See if it's going to still be appropriate for you see that it's still going to be uh, in your best interest to be on the plan that you're on currently. And Peter, so you've, you've hit on it a little bit, but just uh, if you can go a little deeper. So the Medicare Advantage, despite its name, may not be an advantage, um, but uh, differences between uh, Advantage plans and supplement plans, if you can just sort of bullet the, the key ones, I think sure. that's helpful. So um, on an Advantage plan, uh, you, you can go to any doctor who's within a network. And, and people will think, uh, I'm, I'm just going to use a, one of the companies that I used to work for um, as an example. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, uh, you know, I'm on the Tufts commercial plan, uh, therefore I know that my doctor will take the Tufts Medicare Advantage plan. And that's an assumption. Uh, that's not necessarily and in fact is probably not valid. And the reason for that is that Medicare Advantage Networks and all of the plans is a subset of the commercial network. And usually that subset is about 10% of the overall network. So let's, let's say it's twice that. Let's say it's 20%. Well, that still means that 80% of the doctors are not in the Medicare network. Um, so you really need to uh, check that, first of all. An HMO is going to be, uh, Medicare Advantage, first of all, is either an HMO or it's a PPO. An HMO is a health maintenance organization. PPO is a preferred provider organization. The preferred provider organization is going to give you a broader access to doctors than an HMO because it's going to allow you to go outside of that relatively small network that the HMO has. If the HMO works for people, in other words, their primary care physician accepts it, the primary care physician has said that he or she will give you a referral to whatever specialist you currently are using, that works really well. I mean, they, they, um, they can have a premium as low as zero. They add extra benefits like dental and vision that you don't get on a supplement plan. 
they will work in other things as well that is to your advantage, hence the name, um, to take it. But what they don't give you is the essentially universal access to doctors who take Medicare. So what really differentiates the two in my mind, and the reason I personally took a supplement in the first place, was access to doctors. So I wanted access most especially to the specialists in Boston. They're some of the best in the world. I didn't want to minimize my choices at all. However, my wife took a Medicare Advantage plan. So, you know, why would we do that? Well, we did that because I had a medical issue in my mid-50s. I had cancer. Uh, and because of that, in my own mind, I was no longer immortal. I wanted to maximize my access to doctors. My wife has never had an issue like that. She doesn't take any prescriptions. This uh, worked very well. Our primary care physician took a particular health plan. Um, he assured her that she could get referrals to her uh, current specialists. She was young at the time, 65. She's still young. She's the same age as I am. We're both 74. Um, so I am ad advising her, essentially, you know, stay on the Advantage plan. At this point, she's on a PPO, so she has greater access to doctors. Really nice um, benefit of her current PPO is that I mentioned my wife is um, really uh, well off in terms of health condition, knock on wood, but her teeth are a different matter. Every year we spend good money on her teeth, and her current PPO, Medicare Advantage plan, will give us up to $1,000 a year uh, reimbursement on dental. So for me, that's found money. You, you can't get that on a supplement plan. So um, that's just a terrific benefit, uh, especially for her, because again, her teeth are an issue. Medically speaking, not so much now. When and if she develops something chronic that fall during Medicare open enrollment, we'll switch her to a supplement plan just like me. Um, so there's some distinct differences. The premium that my wife currently pays is zero. The premium that I currently pay for a supplement is $180. That's about a $200 difference because you have to also factor in that I pay extra for the drug plan. So um, you have to think, which one is the uh, of value to me for my needs and um, what my projected uh, health expenses are going to be next year? So when you use a Medicare Advantage plan, you're, it's like an a la carte menu at a restaurant. You're paying for everything. Everything incurs a copay. You go to the primary care physician, it's generally in the $25 range. Specialist is generally in the $40 range. Hospitalization is always the highest copay. It's generally in the $300 a day range for up to five or seven days. So it's money out of your pocket every time you access services. Whereas on the supplement plan, once you pay that $203 this year, you're done for the year. So, um, but again, you're paying that extra ballpark of $200 a month for the supplement plan. 
Right. So it's basically it's two two calculations, Peter. It's it, one of them's harder than the other. One is just basic math. The other one is for the upcoming twelve month period. What is my health? What what am I going to need for services in the in the twelve months coming up? That right. kind of thing. And so you touched on it a little bit because um, again, on its face, sometimes the advantage plans look better. But uh, with all these added benefits and zero premiums and all that, and, you know, obviously for those of us, I think it's everywhere. I haven't really traveled much in the last 18 months, but, you know, I've got Joe Namath and J.J. Walker telling me uh, telling me that I, I should call this number and tell me all the benefits that I can right. get. Uh, right. Just in general, sort of what are they talking about and, and how does that apply to those of us here in Massachusetts? So they're talking about Medicare Advantage plan. They're promoting uh, the plans that I mentioned earlier are uh, the most profitable plans for health plans is a Medicare Advantage plan. That's where they make a lot of their profit. Um, but the downside of what they're talking about is the restricted network. So I mentioned earlier that there's about a $200 a month delta, if you will, between a supplement and an Advantage plan. And I've had a supplement plan. The reason I took it, I told you, uh, and I haven't used a specialist in the nine years that I've been on Medicare, so we could argue uh, that I've been overpaying. You know, you should have been on an Advantage plan. But I would suggest uh, that I've been, uh, I've had peace of mind. I've, I've known that I can get access. So if people really need access and they have a vested interest in certain specialists and they change to an Advantage plan and then all of a sudden they need access to specialists, that's a real problem. And the older we get, the more likely it is that we need that access to specialists. So I like to see people consider Joe Namath I mean, I really liked Joe in 69 when he won for the Jets, but I'm not crazy about the commercials because I get a lot of calls about it from people who are on special, uh, have specialty care needs. They're on a supplement. It's not a good fit for them, but they want to look at it because of the advertisement that both J.J. Uh, Walker and Joe Namath are, are generating. Um, and I, and I would say uh, overall that as we age, I like to see people consider uh, supplement a little more because their their need for care increases virtually every year. You never know when you're going to have that bad year where you're going to incur substantial expenses. You can avoid that on a supplement plan, um, but you can't avoid it on a on an Advantage plan. You can cap it on an Advantage plan. And then it's important to mention that one of the things that the Advantage plans will have by regulation is a, a maximum out-of-pocket. You see a lot of them are $6,900. So that means once you've spent that $6,900, they don't hit you for additional co-pays. Um, so that's a good feature, but you know, I, I think that there's a lot of things to take into consideration. One is somebody's age. One of them is their, their health condition. Uh, what medications do they take? How do the plans treat those medications? Uh, a lot of money now is can be spent on uh, medications. 
and things that you'd think are not going to be a big deal, like eye drops or, or some sort of a cream, you think that's relatively inexpensive. A lot of times under Medicare, it's not. So you really need to take a very serious look at the prescriptions and put that into the equation. Right. No, it's definitely, there's some planning involved similar to the, the Social Security question. Um, Peter, in our remaining time, we've probably got about eight minutes or so left. Uh, talk about the process for those people who are becoming uh, Medicare eligible by age. Not so much the disability people, but as you approach your 65th birthday, you know, we've got people who are working beyond 65 and we've got right. some people who are retired. What should they do and by when? So uh, I like to see people, and Social Security encourages people to, at the very least, apply for Part A of Medicare within a 90-day window of the, the, the anniversary month of their 65th birthday. So uh, I get a lot of calls from people who have read somewhere that if they don't sign up for A and B, uh, that they're going to be subjected to penalties. And the reality of it is, is if anybody works for a company with uh, 20 or more employees, they're going to be turning 65, they're going to continue to get their coverage through their employer, then they can, they don't have to, but they can apply for Part A. I advise them to most of the time apply for Part A because it gets them in the Social Security system. So it makes it easier once they're going to uh, retire and transition to Medicare if they already have Part A. The only time that I tell people that it's not a good idea to uh, apply for Part A is if they have a health savings account, uh, an HSA. It has to be a health savings account because the government wants the people with uh, an HSA to stop making contributions towards that HSA six months prior to turning 65. Uh, or electing Medicare. So in other words, if somebody's turning 65 in December, they're already within that six-month window. Uh, and if they're, they've been making contributions to an HSA, then that would be, uh, be a problem if they elected Part A in December. Uh, so I would advise somebody in that category to, you know, hold off. Hold off. Don't take Part A until you're comfortable with your um, HSA situation. Um, and But most people, uh, I find, are continuing to work after uh, 65 nowadays. Uh, and as a result of that, I have them look at that piece. I send them forms to apply for A and or A and B of Medicare, depending on their situation. Uh, if they're over 65, and they're applying for A and or A and B of Medicare. They also have to um, provide a form that attests from their employer that they've had health coverage since turning 65. That's not the form they get every year uh, attesting to creditable coverage. It's a different form. I send them that form as well. Third form that I send people is if they are uh, retiring uh, their income is going to be reduced as a result, and they want to um, limit their contribution on the Part B premium. So if you're retiring, say, in 2022, 
government, for example, will look at 2020, they'll look back two years, and if you made more than the amounts that I mentioned earlier, government's going to want to charge you more. Well, there's a form where you can contest that based on the fact that you are now retired, and as a result of that, your income has decreased. Uh, and that really kind of gets people started. And then within 60 days of transitioning to Medicare, we look at, so what are you better served on, a, a Medicare supplement plan or a Medicare Advantage plan? So I give them quotes, spreadsheets, reports, et cetera, on the options. I include multiple options so that it's, it's, uh, it's not limiting them to certain carriers. It's really giving them a, a, an overall picture of the market. So two, two things I got from that, Peter. Hopefully these are correct. So number one is when you're first eligible, you, do, that's, you don't have to wait until open enrollment in the fall to enroll. If you're, exactly. That, exactly. That's one. And yep. I think the second one, which I deal with a lot, is for those people who are still working who are beyond age 65. And remember, the other thing I think we can remember is, unlike speaking with um, Kurt earlier, um, Medicare is still 65. Even if your normal retirement age is 67, based on your birth year, uh, right. Medicare is still, as of, again, everything's as of right now, right, Peter? Right. <laughs> uh, right. And, but I deal with this a lot, and I probably will deal with it a lot more if, if that date does if that age doesn't change, is the people that are currently working covered by an employer plan they start getting a lot of mail, as you know, as you know, and they they worry that they have to enroll in Medicare. And they, let's say these these are all people that work for employers greater than twenty uh, right. employees. Yeah. How does that penalty work? And we've only got about a minute and a half. Well, they don't they don't start to incur any sort of a penalty as long as they have uh, coverage through their employer. But if they were to retire and go. Um, more than 60 days, in fact, 63 days is the number of days that's cited in the regulation without uh, prescription coverage, then they start to in incur penalties. Um, but as long as somebody, um, they have, first of all, they have a seven-month window around their turning 65, three months before the month they turn 65, the month in which they turn 65, and three months thereafter. So there's huh. a good window to, for that initial uh, enrollment period. Uh, and then there's a special election period where they can join when, as a result of retirement. Got it. So obviously, Peter, in, in talking with you and listening to you, there's a lot that needs to, to be evaluated. Uh, what is your uh, either website or contact info if people have questions about so Medicare? The, the, the best way to contact me is through my website, which is www dot stoner that's s-t-o-n-e-r stonermedicare.com so stonermedicare is one word dot com got it excellent peter thank you i appreciate your insights and good luck this this fall and uh, hope to talk to you soon thanks pat all right thanks everyone bye-bye right. bye-bye